I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Here we have a passage of scripture that I've always been familiar with, but never done a Bible study on from the front of the church. And I think it's a, a beautiful passage of scripture and I pray that it will bless you too as we get into this study this morning. Let's bow our heads as we ask the Holy Spirit to stay with us as we open the word. God, we come before you this morning. Our hearts are thirsty for a blessing from your presence. We thank you, God, for the youth group that's just sung that beautiful song through it all and may that be our experience Always we thank you, Lord, for the service thus far. But now as we open your word for a few moments, I would pray that you will stay with us, that your Holy Spirit will be in this church and that you will call people who you love into a deeper walk with you. Lord, I pray this from a, a contrite heart, from a experience knowing how desperately we do need you in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I was watching television this week. I came home rather early because I had a Bible study fall through. I think it was on Thursday night and um, no, it was a Wednesday evening actually. And as I got home, I happened to like SBS News. In fact, I like SBS News because I think that SBS News better gives me a view of the world than any other news that we see on television. And I got home and it was 9.30 and I turned the television on and I watched the first few stories and then I, I was really drawn to a story of a British reporter who had travelled to Angola with a TV camera crew. This British reporter must have had some courage because he had gone right to the middle of an outbreak in Angola of a virus called Marburg. Have you heard of it? It's a little bit like Ebola and it's, it's, a, it's a highly virulent, horrendous virus that when it gets a hold of people, it usually does kill them. In fact, as I was listening to the news reporter report on the Marburg virus, he was saying that what it actually does is it gets inside to your internal organs and, and will actually melt them. And so your chances of survival if you get Marburg are, are probably fairly slim. And the, the camera focused, and some of you may have seen it, on one particular village hut there in the middle of Angola. And as the reporter spoke, I was chilled because in that hut was a mother who had somehow got Marburg virus right in the middle of the outbreak. And when the family, the husband and the rest of the children realised that the mother had Marburg, they had no choice but to flee because if they didn't flee, they themselves would have got the disease. And the mother lay on the dirt floor of that hut, dying of Marburg virus. Well, that was sad enough for me. But what really touched me and really moved me was that in that hut lying next to the mother, was a one-month-old baby and it was traumatic and it almost caused me to cry because for three days that little baby, as the mother lay dying, whimpered and cried for help and no one had the courage 
And nobody went in to save that little baby. And as the, as the camera focused in on that hut, a health team turned up and they went in and they got the mother and then they went in and they were all dressed in gloves and masks and they were protecting themselves and they went in and they put this tiny little one-month-old girl and I couldn't help but think of my own daughters. They, they lifted her up gently and they put her in a little white bag and they zipped it closed and then they walked outside to a, a tiny little very colourful coffin and they put the little one-month-old girl in that coffin and they carried her away. And as I watched that scene, I was longing for two things. The first thing I longed for, and I said it to God, is how I wish I had been there. Don't you? I'm not a man of courage. I wish I was, but I'm not. But I would have walked into that hut and I would have picked that baby up anyway and I would have brought her outside. That was my first longing. It can't ever be fulfilled. Secondly, how I wished as I watched that newscast, how I longed for the resurrection. Don't you long this morning for the resurrection? I can't wait to see Jesus come in the clouds of heaven and resurrect those who have died. And I know that Jesus is coming back for that little one-month-old girl. And I know that she will be taken to heaven and I know that she will live eternally, but how I long for the resurrection. And I want to pray this morning that as we do this Bible study, that as we leave this church, that you too long for a resurrection. And this morning as we do this Bible study, I want to, I want to assure you that you all have a chance for resurrection this morning. And it's a good study and it's a challenging study. Let's get into it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. This is Paul speaking. I like Paul. This is a powerful, powerful passage of scripture on the resurrection. And this is what Paul says, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. And Paul, he might have lived 2,000 years ago, but he's talking to us this morning. And these words, I want to tell you that they come down the corridors of time with authority and with great power and they, they are for us. In God's supernatural way, he impressed Paul. He brought these words down the corridors of time and they are for us as we sit in this church this morning talking about resurrection, something we should all be longing for. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Paul says, in the past, he's talking to those who are converted. He says, in the past you were dead because you sinned and fought against God. Oh, what a statement. In the past you were dead because you sinned and you fought against God. I tell you this morning, Paul's talking to Lloyd Grolleman. You followed the ways of the world and you obeyed the devil. Yes, I'm hearing you, Paul. He rules the world and his spirit has power over everyone who doesn't obey God. The first thing Paul says to us this morning is that if you're not walking with God, 
If you don't have a relationship with him, if his presence is not in your life. Now, now listen to me for a minute. If you are not committed to daily Bible study and prayer, practicing in the presence of God, allowing him to come into your life, then Paul makes this statement and it's a strong statement. He says, you are, if I am doing that, he says, I am what? What does he say we are? Look at the text. We are what? Dead. I don't want to be dead. But Paul says, if you're not walking with Jesus Christ, then face the fact, man. Face the fact, woman. If you're not walking with Christ, each one of you know this morning whether you're walking with Christ. Amen? Do you know? If you're not walking with Christ, Paul says you are dead. Now, what scares me with that is what Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 5 says. Open your Bibles. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 5. It says, are we there? The dead know what? Paul says if you're not walking, now follow me this morning. If you're not walking with Jesus, then you are dead. And then the Bible goes further on and says, if you are dead, you know nothing. And I want to tell you this morning that you can have the, the highest degree from the highest university. You can be highly educated in the ways of the world. But if you don't have Jesus Christ, a real Jesus Christ, a real God, a real Jesus Christ living in your heart, then Paul says you are dead and the Bible goes on further and says you know nothing. And I want to tell you that we have a whole lot of people out there in society, in our culture, in our country. We have a whole lot of people even in the church that are dead and know nothing. And pray to God this morning that does not describe you. In fact, Paul, you can see him as he went on his missionary journeys struggling and battling with dead people. People who were alive and who were breathing, who could hear and who could see and who could smell and could sometimes talk, but as he battled with them to try and share a living Jesus Christ, they were dead. And sometimes you see his frustration, 1 Corinthians 1, 22 to 24, as he deals with these sorts of people. He says, Jews, he said, I work with them, they're my people. He says, Jews ask for miracles and Greeks want something that sounds wise. But he says, we preach that Christ was nailed to a cross. Most Jews have problems with this, he says, because they're dead. And most Gentiles think it foolish. Why? Because they're dead. Our message is God's power and wisdom for the Jews and the Greeks. I want to tell you this morning that if you're sitting in this church and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then you are dead. Oh, it's tough. But you are dead and you need a resurrection. You need to be resurrected just as surely as that little baby in Angola needed to be. You need to be resurrected just as surely as my dear old grandmother who passed away at almost 101 needs to be. If you are sitting here without Jesus Christ, you are dead, you are buried, you are in the grave and you need a resurrection. And I look at the Seventh-day Adventist church and I look at how we're battling and struggling to share Jesus with power and vibrancy, how we struggle sometimes to worship with enthusiasm and I can only come to the conclusion that more of us need a resurrection. We're dead. We need a resurrection. 
And until we recognise that we need a resurrection, some of us anyhow, we will struggle. 1 Corinthians, uh, sorry, back to Ephesians chapter 2. In the past, Paul says, you were dead. He's talking to us who know Jesus. You, because you sinned and fought against God, you followed the ways of the world and obeyed the devil. He rules the world and his, and his power over everyone. Oh, sorry, he rules. See, I put my glasses on. In the past, you were dead because you sinned and fought against God. You followed the ways of the world and obeyed the devil. He rules the world and his spirit has power over everyone who doesn't obey God. Paul says if you're dead, you follow the ways of the world. I want to tell you quickly, if you want to commit spiritual suicide, then incorporate the ways of the world into your Christian life. If you want to commit spiritual suicide, and there's plenty of spiritual suicide going on, if you want to see a church commit spiritual suicide, have that church bring into its presence, bring into its church, bring into its doors the ways of the world. And it's why I always speak publicly to the church about the dangers of rock music. Because what we do with rock music is we are bringing into the church of God the ways of the world. It's spiritual suicide. When I see young people, and I love our young people, what battles they face against the devil. Struggling with this concept of the sanctity of marriage. Battling not to get into bed with their boyfriend or girlfriend. And no wonder it's a battle when we see the idols of Australia. I heard just yesterday... And I actually like the guy, Leighton Hewitt. I like his tennis. And his girlfriend, Beck Cartwright, I think they've been only going out four or five months. She's three months pregnant. Now, I'm not here to condemn them. They probably don't know Jesus Christ. But when our youth are constantly looking at these sorts of people as guides in life, no wonder we're struggling not to bring that into our own lives. It's spiritual suicide. When I, I was talking to a young man just the other day, going to Adventist parties, talking about the alcohol that is now consumed and it's not just our young people. This concept, this idea that there's nothing wrong with drinking a wine here and there, where do we get that from? We're bringing the things of the world into our experience. We're bringing the things of the world into our church and it's spiritual suicide. Television, right in our homes. This is spiritual suicide. And I want to tell you that Satan rules the world and has power over those who don't follow God. That's what the text says. The whole world marches to the beat of the devil's drum because they don't follow God. And if we as a church, even if we claim to know Jesus, march to the beat of Satan's drum, then we too will commit going from life. We will commit life in Jesus. We will commit spiritual suicide. Ephesians 2 verse 3 to 5. Once we were also ruled by the selfish desires of our bodies and minds. We had made God angry and we were going to be punished like everyone else, but God was merciful. We were dead because of our sins. He says it again, but God, God loves us so much that he made us alive with Christ. And God's wonderful kindness is what saves you. This is powerful. Paul now talks to the resurrected. To you and to me, we who know Jesus, he says, once we were ruled by our selfish desires. And I've got to tell you, before Jesus, I was selfish. I was me-centred, breathtakingly selfish. And the world out there that does not know Jesus, that follows this devil that the Bible talks about here, 
is selfish, breathtakingly selfish. And I know what it's like to be selfish. I, 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 I was, I better be careful, you'll think all I do is watch TV, but I was home the other day having lunch and I flicked it on for the ABC News. I'm a news hound. And there was not, it was a business part of the news which I don't really like. Sorry, David. So I flicked over and Seinfeld, you know what that is? It's a, it's a, a what is it, a, some show that's supposed to make you laugh. It was on. And there was Seinfeld and, and, and the girl, I don't even know her name, and they're getting on a plane. And because the plane was full, one of them was upgraded to first class. Automatically, you think the guy would say, well, well you take the first class seat and I'll go back to economy. Well, that's what I'd do, wouldn't you, men? But not Seinfeld. He grabbed the first class ticket, left the girl in economy and spent the flight up in first class and the whole show was on what a wonderful time he was having in first class while the girl's having a miserable time in economy. And we laugh at it, but it does illustrate the selfishness, the breathtakingly selfishness of our world. You know, before Jesus, I was selfish. After Jesus, you go from being self-centred to what? Others, others others-centred. Bible says, look at the text, we're going to be punished. We are selfish before we knew Jesus. While we were dead, we were selfish. And then the Bible says, Jesus, God's going to punish us. You know, I've got two little girls, Danae and Hannah. When they muck up normally, I just send them to the, to the toilet. Uh, funny place to send them, but there's nothing to do in the toilet. Did you know that? If I send them to their room, there's great adventures in there. Not in the toilet, there's not. I send them there, but if they really muck up, I go upstairs and I pull out, where's Hannah? The what, Hannah? The wooden spoon. And my home, when Dad gets out the wooden spoon, run for help. And usually they run to Mum and she's not much help. (laughs) No one likes punishment. God, look, look. When we are dead, the Bible says, look at this. We are selfish, aren't we? And we are headed for punishment. And let me tell you that the punishment of God makes the wooden spoon look like a holiday in Disneyland. I don't want to be punished by God. But the Bible says, look at this, but God was what? Merciful and he loved us. I I can't tell you this morning how much God loves you. I wish I could. I've said it many times. I wish I could express it in words that work, but I can't. God loves you. He doesn't want you to be dead. He doesn't want you to experience selfishness in your life. And let me tell you, God does not, God does not want to punish you. No, he does not. God loves you. I don't know about you parents, but when I've got to give my girls a wooden spoon on the odd occasion, it hurts. Yes, it hurts them, but it hurts dad. I don't like doing it. Do you parents? And God loves you. He loves you more than you love your sons or daughters. And he does not want to punish you. He wants to love you. He wants to be kind and gentle to you. And he wants to lift you up and to save you. 
He doesn't want you to experience death. I've often wondered about the mercy of God. I was in New Zealand. I'm not sure whether I've told this story at this church or not. I was coming from the youth camp back to Auckland. I was in a rush and there was this car and it was in my way and it was a slow, slow thing. And I was getting impatient and I flicked my, I don't normally do this, but I flicked my lights at the thing and he seemed to go slow. And finally I said, I've had it with you. And there's a little straight. And I roared out past him and I happened to look at my dial and it went over 160 kilometre an hour. As I passed him, I went, boom, that'll fix you. Well, can you imagine my horror when I saw a little blue light in that one car that I just passed? It was a policeman if ever I was in need of mercy. He pulled me over. Normally I'm feisty when a policeman pulls me over. And I'll say to him, well, why don't you go and book somebody who's drunk outside instead of bothering me? You know, I'm going to make him feel a little bit. But you know, I didn't say that this day. I said, well, uh, here's my license, I guess. There's not much to say. And he leaned in the door with a smile and he said, slow down and have a nice day. (laughs) That, my brothers and sisters is mercy. And that is the mercy that God wants to give. And in fact, it's beyond that. If you, you know, you sink, we sink far from God. We get, we get caught in sin that is mucky and grubby and it makes us feel filthy and dirty. And we wonder how can God even look at us and, and to call Lloyd? No, why? But that's not how God works. God is merciful. God loves you and he'll come down and he'll wrap his arms around you with the muck and the grub and the mud and he'll lift you up and he'll say, I love you and I want to forgive you. That's the God I serve this morning. God's merciful, he loves us. And then coming to the climax, he makes us alive in Christ. Look at the text. But God was merciful, we are dead because of our sins, but God loved us so much That's why we're here this morning. He made us alive in Christ. He resurrects us. God's kindness saves us. And it's a beautiful thing. Ephesians 2 verse 6 and 7. God raised us from death to life with Christ Jesus and he has given us a place beside Christ in heaven. God did this so that in the future world he could show how truly good and kind he is to us because of what Christ Jesus has done. Jesus... Oh, how many times I've said this in this church. If you're dead this morning and you're hurt and you're in pain and you feel far, far from God, if you are in this church and you don't feel comfortable and you wonder where this is even the place you should be, then all you've got to do is close your eyes and say, Jesus, save me. You don't have to be a Seventh-day Adventist. You say, Jesus, save me. And he will hear your cry for help. And he will resurrect you. He takes you from death. Look at this. He takes you from death into life. And the reason we struggle with this as human beings is because we are used to going from life Into what? Into death. I tell you, my grandmother, a hundred years old sometime last year. She was alive and well. When I was born, she was about 57. I used to play tennis with her. My grandmother went from life into what? 
That's how our world works, but God turns it upside down and he says, you are in death. You are not alive. You are not living if you don't have me, but let me into your heart. Let me heal you and I will take you from death into what? Into life, into life. Jesus says, he says, for good reason, come unto me, you who are heavy burdened, and I will give you what? I'll give you rest. I'll give you peace. Jesus says, I will give you life. And this morning in this church, if you are dead, I want to tell you that God offers you life. And it's as simple, he offers to resurrect you. And it is as simple as saying, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Save me. Can you say that? Save me. And when he hears that cry, he has big ears. He hears the most feeble cry of the most wicked sinner. And when he hears that cry, he responds. Whole, the whole of heaven springs into action and everything God does from that moment onwards in your life is geared to saving you. Jesus, I am a sinner. Hear my prayer. Save me and God will resurrect you from the dead and it's a greater miracle than when Jesus resurrected Lazarus from the dead. A greater miracle to resurrect, to see God resurrect someone from spiritual death into spiritual life. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. You, listen to this, were saved by faith in God who treats us much better than we deserve. This is God's gift to you. You are saved by faith in God. And not anything you have done on your own. It isn't something you have earned, so there is nothing you can brag about. You are saved by faith in God. You accept You accept that Jesus has resurrected you by faith. You might say, I have no faith. Well, you may be right. You may not have faith. If you, have, if you do not have faith, you cannot be saved. But the Bible says you are saved by faith. How does faith come? Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by Hearing, and hearing comes by, you are saved by faith, by being in the presence of God. You are saved by faith, by being in the presence of God. Faith is a gift. My dad, a few years ago, gave me a car. Can you believe that? It was a Ford. He gave me a car. Is that a beautiful gift? Well, I thought it was. Faith is a gift. You cannot earn it. You cannot somehow get it. It is a gift from God. And you, now listen, you get that gift. You get, this is life saving. You get that gift by being in the presence of God. You know that as a pastor, what I am trying to do at Warunga and what our pastoral team is trying to do is to give you opportunities to be in the presence of God. In this church, we pray that when you come here, you're in the presence of God. Sabbath school is designed for you to be in the presence of God. Prayer meeting, you know why I harp on about prayer meeting so much? Because I want, I want you to experience the presence of God because when you're in the presence of God, when he is by you, when you are seeking him, he will give you faith. It is a miracle. I cannot stand here and tell you how he does it. He just does it. If you are in the presence of God, you will get faith. How do you think it was that Daniel went to the lion's den? How do you think it is that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego went into the fiery furnace? They did it because they had been in the presence of God. 
And we as a people, Seventh-day Adventists, need to be in the presence of God. We've got the doctrines. We've got the truth. But we do not practice being in the presence of God enough. And so we do not have enough faith. And because we do not have faith, we are not resurrected from the dead. Why do you think it is that God opposes in your life Bible study and prayer so much? Because when you're in your Bible and you're in prayer, you're in the presence of God. I wonder, and I don't want to show of hands, how many of you this week, how many of you have been into the Bible? You know the answer to that. How many of you have been on your knees in prayer, searching for God in his presence, allowing him to resurrect you from the dead? And if you are not in the presence of God, you will not be resurrected from the dead. If you are in the presence of God, if you take every opportunity to be with him, prayer meeting, what an opportunity to be in the presence of God. Prayer meeting, will we even supply a program for the children? Sabbath school, gathered around in little groups, studying the word in the presence of God. God will give you faith. And when you have faith, you will be resurrected, praise God. You cannot brag about faith because it's a gift. You have not earned it. Look at this, you are dead. I am, we are dead under the rule and power of Satan. We are then ruled as we are dead by selfish desires. We are headed for punishment, but God was kind. God loves us and he saves us by faith. Now look at this as we finish. Ephesians 2.10 God planned for us to do good things. Look at the word. Don't turn off on me now as we finish. This is important as we finish. God planned for us to do what? Read it with me. God planned to do good things. And to live as he has always, and to live, to live, to live as he has always wanted us to live. That's why he sent Christ to make us what we are. God sent Christ to resurrect us because he loves us and he wants us to do good things and to live as he has always wanted us to live. Brothers and sisters, God does not resurrect you from the dead to then go on in the church and do nothing. And I pick no one out in particular here because over 60-70% of the people that I've encountered in the last few weeks have been in this, in this group But God gave each one of you, as he resurrected you from the dead, skills. He gave you gifts to advance his cause in the church. And it pains me, and so many people have said it, that I can now say that it's not looking at anybody. In fact, I think I'd be in the same group, perhaps, if I wasn't the pastor. But it pains me at nominating committee to go up to somebody who God has blessed with skills, who God has blessed mightily with gifts, someone I know who loves Jesus, who has been resurrected from the dead, and ask them 
to do one job for the Lord and the church. And they put the sword down. That is not what God called us to do. Look, God planned for us to do what? Huh? Good things. And to live as he has always wanted us to live. That's why he sent Christ to make us what we are. When you've been resurrected from the dead, let me tell you, brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and you have a fire in your bones. You can't be quiet about Jesus Christ. You will take opportunity as life allows you to serve the Lord. And you know what? Wurunga Church is better than most, praise God. But what is happening to the people of God when we stand on the precipice before the second coming of God when the forces of good and evil marshal themselves for battle? What is happening to the people of God when right at the intense time of the battle we're laying laying our swords down? Now is not the time if you've been resurrected. Now is not the time if you live in Christ to put the sword down. If you want to rest, praise God, have it when you get to heaven. Did you hear me? You can go on holidays for a hundred years up there. Have the rest when you get to heaven. But while you're here on earth, let the Lord use you powerfully with the gifts. Let the Lord use you powerfully with the skills he's given you to finish the work. Amen? Well, that wasn't very loud. That's all right. I never come to this church to preach bubble and froth. Come in here to challenge you in Jesus. And if the message is challenging you, don't get upset with me. Go and get upset with God because I never wrote it. He did. He said, if you're resurrected, if you're alive in Christ, he said, God said, then you will do good things for me. I want to finish with this text, Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9. I love this text. I've never used it here before. Jeremiah says, and see, he's under the call of the Lord. Jeremiah didn't really want to work for the Lord, but he's under the call of the Lord. And Jeremiah is a great man. He was resurrected. He was alive in Christ. He had surrendered. He had Jesus come inside of him, resurrect him from the dead. He was compelled to work. And he says, and this, is, this has got to be the experience of most of us. Sometimes I tell myself not to think about you, Lord, or even mention your name. But listen, but your message burns in my heart and bones and I cannot keep silent. Don't you love it? Don't you love that? Sometimes I tell myself not to even think about your Lord or even to mention your name, but your message burns. It burns in my heart. It burns in my bones. And although I don't really want to work for you, Lord, I can't keep silent. Oh, I pray that be the experience of each of you this morning. I'm wondering as we close, and perhaps our musicians are ready, we're going to sing just as I am. But to be saved from death to life, and I know what it's like. It's like a fire in your bones. I'm going to make a call. I don't mind that it's, oh, be a very short one.
We're about to sing Just As I Am. And it's a good song when God is calling you from death to life. I'm someone that has been called from death to life. I'm a sinner. And this resurrection process goes on in my life every day. Every day God resurrects me. He needs to. Because every day I have sin, I have death working inside of me and it is a constant battle. And I wonder if you've been dead and you want to live today. It's a serious call. I'll stand here before you. I've been dead. And this morning, God, I want to live. I wonder if you've been dead and you want to live, whether you'd like to stand only if you've been dead and you want to live. You want to stand with me? I'm standing.